Welcome to another episode of Voice of the Humanities. These podcasts are brought to you by the very gracious folks at Vectis Consulting, V-E-C-T-I-S Consulting.org. They actually specialize in promoting, advancing, strengthening, and saving humanities programs at colleges and universities. So if you're interested in having a discussion with a group of folks that are concerned with programs like yours in the humanities, give them a shout. So today we're going to do part two of raising the internal visibility of a humanities program at a college or university. So I'm using a couple terms interchangeably here, which is usually anathema to a philosopher, but it's just different settings. So college and university, I'm going to flip between the two. University, typically a larger setting. Colleges are sometimes included in universities, and then colleges are typically smaller scale operations, but I'll use them interchangeably. And program and major will be used interchangeably in these podcasts. I switched about halfway through my career. It was always the philosophy major, the history major, the nursing major, and then some reorganization and some restructuring of the college. And for some reason or another, the fight wasn't worth the energy. We switched to program. So it became philosophy program, history program, <clears throat> nursing program. So whatever you find yourself in a program or a major or whatever you find yourself directing or overseeing in whatever type of institution, university or college, those ch terms are going to flip back and forth for me. So internal visibility has a lot of positive aspects to it. And I'm going to talk more about internal visibility in later podcasts, but right now I'm primarily focusing on funneling students into your courses. I don't think you're going to find many humanities programs that are having a problem with too many students being in them. There are always classes that fill very easily. My ethics for healthcare professionals, for instance, was almost always maxed out. I taught a few courses, very creative courses. We had some fantastic leadership at McMurray College for a while, and I was able to create some very creative courses that revolved around baseball. And those courses filled with ease when I taught those courses. And then, of course, my Camus course always filled because I had a reputation of being a Camus expert. And from that, the students enjoyed the course material. But a lot of my other classes, I had to hustle. <clears throat> introduction to philosophy, introduction to ethics, contemporary moral issues. When we taught the old sequence of ancient, modern, 19th and 20th century, I had to hustle uh, to get students in those classes. Logic class, for instance, we had a analytics major, business analytics that was required to take a logic course. And I'll talk about the value of that eventually about how I got um, seated in the business curriculum that way. But the logic course was very hard to fill. I almost had to exclusively rely on the analytics majors and a few brave and generous philosophy majors uh, to take the logic course. So that being said, it's worthwhile, I think, to talk about strategies of strategies for funneling 
students to your courses. And you don't ever want to do this in sort of a sleazy advertising, marketing sort of way. It just doesn't fit a college or university setting very well. You want to do this in an honest way that boosts your enrollment, adds value to the student experience there, even if they're not a philosophy or a history or a literature or a theater major. And it adds value to the overall college and to any partnerships you might form. So that's always been my approach um, for better or for worse. And clearly in the long run, I think it was always for better. What I want to focus on primarily today are forming agreements, formal agreements, uh, to set up mechanisms that will bring students an increase of flow, increase of student flow into your courses. This is something that you may want to turn to a consultant for. Um, There are consultants out there and our sponsor, uh, Vectus is certainly one of them that have a lot of experience forming forming these agreements inside the curriculum to formalize structures and can take a look at the overall picture. So this can be done by a faculty member. It can be a lot of work and research and it does need a formal plan. And this, this usually has a lot of uh, steps to it to move through different committees and approval of leadership. So sometimes a formal proposal drafted by an expert can be an advantage doing these sorts of agreements. But I like to think systematically and um, it shows my sort of fundamental love of Aristotle that I will put things into categories and try to make clarity of the outcome of that and show some value uh, certainly for the outcome of that. So These articulation agreements, I'm not using that word in a real formal sense yet. When I talk about raising the external visibility of a humanities program, I'll be using the legal and business term of articulation agreements. But this term fits in an internal sense too. So right now we're talking about inside your college or university, raising the visibility of your program, to increase the flow of students that are naturally going to come into your theater course or your literature courses or your political science courses if they're housed under the humanities. Inside your division, so again, we have all different types of the way that colleges are divided up here, but let's just say for argument's sake you have a humanities division where the typical humanities are housed. Art is with theater, is with music, is with literature, is with English, is with philosophy and history. That classic group of humanities are housed together in one rubric. You can do a number of things to raise the visibility of your program and increase student flow into your courses. Raise your numbers. The powers that be look at that when they're making decisions and the philosophy courses used to enroll six or seven or eight students, some of the upper level, more esoteric ones, and now they're enrolling 18 or 19. The history courses, the upper level history courses used to enroll a dozen, now they're enrolling 25. Um, That's powerful. It's good for everybody. It's not taking from anybody. It's moving, I think, about student flow as a river and it's diverting that water that would move somewhere anyway into history, into theater, into literature, 
rather than somewhere else. They're going to go somewhere. So inside the humanities, you can do a number of things. I'm going to go from very gradual, very um, easy steps to more complicated steps that will increase flow. Number one, you can do something called preferred electives. Again, it's going to come under a lot of different names. The name that we used in my background was called preferred electives. And all it is is simply in the advising list. So the plan that's given to a student and the plan that's laid out for the faculty member to advise students, there can be preferred electives. So if you are a history professor and you have a number of electives that your students can take, and they always do have a number of electives that students can take, you can establish a list of preferred electives. And those preferred electives can go both ways. So maybe there's a art history course that is on the books, and there's probably several art history courses that are on the books. Those courses can become your preferred electives when you make an agreement with the faculty over an art. And they can come back the other way. Art majors, studio art majors, for instance, have electives. Those Some of those electives could be filled through a history course that covers art. So one of our history professors did this wonderful course that took a very close look at culture of the 60s. Music and art was involved in that. The history professor can get an inflow from art majors into his courses, and that particular course would be a preferred course for art majors to take for their elective. And art majors would have preferred electives set up um, already that would help the history program, and then it will run the other way. The history program will funnel history majors to the art program for electives, where it does a double service. It's good for the student to be taking those courses, and it's good for the humanities in general that they're trading students between the two. You can cross-list courses. So this is the next step up the chain, which involves more work in curriculum committees and more work with provosts and those sorts of folks. But you can cross-list courses where they're given for credit both ways. Let's just take this art and history example that I've been working with. It might be possible to list the history course on popular culture in the 60s. Let's say it's History 350 could also be cross-listed as Art 350, where they're given credit inside their major for that. So you, again, you get a very strong bond between the history program and the art program, and you're keeping those students inside the humanities for their electives. Now, any good college, of course, is going to give a very wide liberal arts view of the electives. So they're going to be required to take courses in natural sciences, statistics, math, quantitative reasoning, those sorts of things. So you're not focusing these students only in the humanities, but when they have the possibility of an elective, it's nice to have an agreement with preferred electives, art and history, for instance, the example I've been using, but even a stronger one where the courses might be cross-listed between the two. And they could get either at four, three or four credits for art or three or four credits for history in that.
And then the final step up the ladder would be team taught, where you would actually team teach, which is a very difficult trick to pull off. There's a lot of logistics. This is where you really can have a consultant which can bring answers to the powers that be. I've always found that to be the very best um, tactic, very best um, advice I can give when putting something forward. If there's a problem, it needs to be identified. You have to show a light on it and you have to show why it is a problem, but have a remedy for it have a solution for it that can be worked out with the powers that be. So we want to increase enrollment in the humanities. We want to increase enrollment in art and history courses, for instance. What if we team taught? What if we divided this course exactly in half? And part of it was taught from the perspective of an art historian, and the other one was taught from the perspective of a historian. Or what if we taught it with the studio art folks? Half of it was taught from the perspective of a studio artist. The other perspective, uh, the other half was taught from the perspective of the history folks. It's a very good way to give the students a really interesting and different learning experience in the classroom. Faculty often enjoy team teaching. They go into it a little bit hesitant, but on the outside, the data indicates that it was often, more often than not, a very good experience to team teach with somebody. So consultants have the plans already in place on how these things can work. They can take a look at your specific institution and get a feel for how this might work and just offer a solution. It's not a guarantee, but it's a solution uh, that can certainly help raise the internal visibility of your program and can help both ends of it. I want to talk briefly because most of the ground's been covered already on the internal side of it with working inside the humanities. But I also want to make sure that you become aware of outside possibilities outside of the humanities. You can develop the same set of goals to raise the inflow of students into your courses from majors outside of the humanities. This was very effective for me in preserving my history, my philosophy major at the college that I taught at when we were only enrolling about 500 students total, I was forced to make these decisions, work on these things myself, give them several runs up the flagpole and finally get some of these things established that helped preserve the philosophy major in times of very limited resources. I was able to establish a list of preferred electives with other majors. So the criminal justice program, for instance, would have preferred electives that were in philosophy, and that was my philosophy of law class. So when a criminal justice major had the opportunity to put a elective in her schedule for the following semester, one of the things that she would see and one of the things that her advisor would see was the fact that my philosophy of law class was a preferred elective for criminal justice majors. It helped an awful lot. There wasn't any formal advantage. It didn't, you know, cut her graduation time by anything or any, there was no discount, but it was a preferred elective and they tended to go for those preferred electives. So my um, strategy was to establish courses that would be good for other majors I like to teach, and they would end up on a preferred elective list 
coming into philosophy. I did it with a number of majors. I taught an aesthetics course, music, art, studio art, art history, preferred electives, Dr. Berg's course on the nature of beauty. It worked very well all the way around. The same thing happens then with cross-listed courses. You can get political science and criminal justice, political science and homeland security to have security to have cross-listed courses. We had a fantastic political science professor with a pre with a law degree. She held a JD and she was able to do a criminal law course. It absolutely perfectly fit with the criminal justice and homeland security program. So the political science program that needed students to to fill seats, criminal justice and homeland security didn't have a problem filling seats, cross-listed, boom, takes pressure off the criminal justice and homeland security teaching staff, fills a need in political science on the humanities side of it. So she got all of those criminal justice and, and homeland security majors to take the criminal justice course that she taught. It was a fantastic, fantastic example of what can be done. And then team teaching in the same way. If the college will allow it, there could be an opportunity for team teaching where an FBI agent may teach with somebody who has a law degree, for instance. So the FBI agent could be on the Homeland Security side and the faculty. The, the person that holds the JD could be on the political science side of the faculty and they could team teach. Again, as these steps get more complicated up the rung, I did find that um, outside consulting was of great help here because they can lay out a well-articulated plan on how this could actually work at the college. But think about these options, preferred electives, cross-listed courses, and team teaching courses. Thank you and the best of luck for your programs. Again, these podcasts are made possible because of the very gracious folks at Vectus Consulting Group, V-E-C-T-I-S. VectusConsulting.org. Thank you.